2: This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. We always
3: like the sexier storylines, the more dramatic storylines. We prefer to watch train wrecks. Ooh, here's a good way to describe it. You'll understand right away.
2: Here's Amy Lawrence.
3: We are heading into Friday. It's not a football Friday for the first time in a really long time, though. We do have some football news, but, you know, the NFL has got to step aside sometime, right? Oh, no, not really. Not willingly. The NFL never relinquishes the spotlight or the center ring of the circus That never happens. (laughs) Instead, they kind of elbow their way back in so that they can't steal headlines from the other sports. Jealous. The NFL gets very jealous when you pay attention to any other sport on the planet. However, we are doing just that on this edition of the show. So it's not a football Friday that we're heading into, but it's a freaky Friday that we're heading into. And I'm looking forward to it. I know as we talked to you earlier in the week about what you're most excited to, to see come end of this winter and spring. What's your next big thing in sports Many pointed to March Madness. A lot of others pointed to opening day for Major League Baseball. And that is terrific uh, because baseball has the oldest average age of its fans. And there's nothing wrong with being older and experienced. I'm not saying that. Only that uh, with the range of people who listen to the show, we certainly had a ton of people that were looking forward uh, to the start of Major League Baseball. And... It's a uniform opening day except for the Dodgers and Padres who will start in South Korea. So this is baseball's attempt at roping in more of that international often, or international audience and that international flavor, similar to how the NFL is going to open its season in Brazil next year, right? That Friday, following Thursday opening night, that Friday game. Uh, is in Brazil. So we're spreading the love around the globe when it comes to our four major professional sports. But that's still a ways away. We're still six weeks out from the start of baseball opening day. Uh, And so maybe as pitchers and catchers report and spring training gets underway, this is why Rob Manfred chose Thursday to drop a bombshell. Now, I'm actually... I wouldn't say surprised about it um, because he did just sign an extension and we're not talking about him walking away from the game in the next five months. No, this is a, a plan that baseball will have in place to come up with his successors so that they can hopefully carry over consistency and keep what they would like you to believe is labor peace. Um, Obviously, it's a lot of owners making a lot of money, and the baseball players union is very powerful, and it seems like there are a ton of disputes. But in this particular case, what will happen is the owners will make sure they have a succession plan in place. Isn't there a show out there called Succession, and it's about this family business or really... Um, rich family business and it's multiple kids who are vying for (laughs) the right to take over for the father when he passes away. I don't know that it's going to be like that. Maybe not as cutthroat and soap opera like as that, Uh, but the owners will want to have a plan in place so that it's as seamless a transition as possible. Manfred took over in 2015 for Bud Selig. He'd been groomed and raised up to be the next commissioner uh, and I would say that there certainly have been a bunch of changes. There certainly have been some positive steps forward. Now, it took a, quite a long time for Rob Manfred, who was willing to die on the hill, that his pace of play. He was not going to let it go. How many times uh, he tried and it didn't really work. Uh, but the latest round of amendments to the rules seemed to be working, right? The, the different clocks, the pitch clock, the... All that jazz uh, seems to be working now where there's less downtime and even more balls in play because of some of the other rules like taking the shift out and that kind of stuff. Um, So he is, I think, finally got to the point where he feels like he's impacted the one area of the game that he had made his mission. And that's the pace of play because the numbers were way down in terms of average game time we had games that were just about 2 hours for heaven's sakes they they were short and the the number the average number was down dramatically in terms of minutes for the games across the board uh, even in the postseason right where we generally see things slow down but because the rules maybe not as forced in, as much but they were definitely implemented This is where Rob Manfred has made his major impact. And then keeping labor peace or trying to get through another round of negotiating with the union, uh, that's also really important. And so he's got some goals that he still wants to work on in these next few years, but he has put an end date, if you will, on his tenure as baseball commissioner.
4: Look, I'm 65, okay? I just started a five-year term. That Do that math, right? That makes me 70 years old. You can only have so much fun um, (laughs) in one lifetime. Uh,
3: I don't know how many baseball fans would say it's been fun. Uh, I do know that there are people, well, I guess this is the case with any of the commissioners, that would label him as the worst commissioner in pro sports. And a lot of people have been unhappy uh, because of the changes he's tried to make and because of the way, uh, that baseball shortened its season in 2020 and just some of the decisions that were made. Now, remember, he works for the owners. He does not have any autonomy. Well, Not much. Really not much autonomy. It's him, like it is in every other sport, it's him as the CEO, essentially, for these owners, this oligarchy of owners uh, who give him the power under their bylaws and with the committees and all that jazz to be able to implement what they want. So he's front and center. He's on the front lines. He takes a lot of the flack. I think something else that people really disliked, maybe even currently still dislike about Rob Manfred is how he handled the whole Houston Astros cheating scandal. A lot of people were really down on him for that. But if you are one of those people that love how much quicker – the games were in 2023, then he should have credit for that because that's been something that he is determined to see in his tenure. So the first year of the pitch clock, this is for nine innings. So not counting the games that go into extras though. I got to tell you as much as I think he does get a bad rap and it's not nearly as bad as what people would say, I cannot stand that token gimmicky runner on second base and in extra innings. That drives me batty. I hate it. But that's something that the two sides could have worked out. The two sides, uh, they could have made major changes. And you know how it is with the union. You can only fight for so much, right? So, uh, two hours and 40 minutes the first year of the pitch clock. That was the average time of a nine inning game in the majors down 24 minutes from the year before and also had a spike in batting average as well as more stolen bases uh, than we've seen in nearly four decades. So those are some of the positives. We saw a lot more running, a lot more balls in play, a lot more guys who were out there on the bases as opposed to strikeout home run, strikeout home run, strikeout home run. And again, a lot of that is because of how many pitching changes and the pitch clock and also the the defensive shift not being allowed. So yeah, it leveled the playing field, so to speak, between pitchers and hitters, two hours and 40 minutes. But now Rob Manfred has indicated that he just started his five-year term, but it will be his last he will retire in 2029. Shouldn't see, I guess there's a chance, but shouldn't see another work stoppage in his time as the commissioner because they just went through that, right? And honestly, as much as I thought that would be a big deal, that was before the 22 season, correct? So we had 2020, which wasn't a full season, and and a lot of fans didn't love how that was handled. Then 22 was when we had the lockout, I think. The years all blend together now. Um, But he has seen some major changes since then, and they do say, oh, there's labor peace, and it'll last. Uh, But I wonder how much he'll be involved in this kind of next round whenever they would get there. i got to go back and look at that because I don't remember. I just want to confirm. I suppose you all are yelling at the radio right now. I think it was 22. Yes, the lockout ended into spring training, remember? It was like the first week in April. Um, Or it ended and then they were able to start a week late in April. Yeah, so 22. Likely not to see another one of those in his lifetime. Maybe that gave him more gray hair or took his hair away. Um, But he's got other plans. For instance, have you noticed how this baseball offseason slash hot stove has been relatively lukewarm? I mean, there have been some moves. For instance, Juan Soto, that's a big one for the Yankees. Again, there have been some moves, but it gets bogged down a lot of times. And we've seen this in previous years where you've got uber agents, very powerful agents that are waiting for the dominoes to drop in other areas for other players so that they can try to get the most... For their athletes. So it's this game of want to be the last one. Want to be the most recent one. So that I can use that. And get even more from my client. It can be a stepping stone for me to get more from my client. And because of that you have these weird quiet periods. Like a quiet zone. uh, Where we don't get a lot of movement. And so to that end. Manfred has this idea of putting in a deadline in free agency, similar to what we get with the NFL, similar to what we get when it comes to trade deadlines and that type of thing. Maybe more consolidated, making sure that teams are on notice, that agents are on notice, and that they recognize you can't continue to play this game. Now, I certainly understand why it can be annoying for the owners to have to wait to be able to sign free agents feeling like these types of deals can go on in perpetuity. I don't know how much it affects competition so I'm not sure how it might even change the balance of power but the owners clearly want to have some type of deadline in place.
4: We would prefer to have a free agent signing period ideally probably in December with a deadline that drove people to make their deals get things settled um we actually made proposals to that effect um to the MLBPA they were not warmly received
3: <laughs> when is it ever warmly received a proposal by the commissioner and the owners right when when are they ever um there are still a lot of big time free agents out there um Blake Snell is still available Cody Bellinger Matt Chapman Jordan Montgomery. What do these guys have in common? They are Scott Boris clients. And and again, that's what I mean by the Uber agents. Right? The agent who is waiting until the very last second. Who is trying to use the timing as leverage against these teams. Who is completely comfortable being a bulldog and being uncomfortable. Even if sometimes it's frustrating for... The players themselves. And so, yeah, you still have some big-time free agents that have not gotten deals. And I can imagine it's not a lot of fun for them. But when you hire a Scott Boris, you have to know the man does not compromise or very rarely compromises. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. There's a bunch more uh, guys who have no idea yet where they will play in 2024 and and two there's this idea that it hurts them in terms of their preparation for the season though I think a lot of players would tell you they don't need quite as much of the time that is set in spring training I mean they'll use it but then they'll also take some time off to ramp up and not play every day once they get to actual games yeah Jordan Montgomery is a starting pitcher that's a free agent Liam Hendricks is still considering multiple offers. That's the latest from USA Today. It's just been so quiet. Relatively benign. Not a lot of impactful moves. Except for Juan Soto is one that really comes to mind. And I know the Yankees also brought in a couple of lefty hitters too. To try to boost that side of the plate. But there's a lot of big names and impactful players that are out there. I mean, the the biggest one was Shohei Otani. You knew that one wasn't going to drag on very long because of the money wrapped up, but also because he wanted to make a decision so he could get started, so he could have his surgery and be uh, ready. We saw him in the batting cages earlier this week. Lots of teams still have opportunity and still have money under kind of this luxury tax threshold and are looking to add pieces. Uh, But when you got one agent who monopolizes the the big names and the experienced guys the the attractive free agents well that becomes a thorn in the side of a lot of these teams that are interested right they don't some of them do not want to deal with Scott Boris for reasons like this but yeah this is kind of interesting the athletic did a piece and ranked They've got a big board of sorts. They ranked the top free agents still available. And the top five, according to The Athletic, are all Boris clients. So that should tell you something. He's not easy to deal with. He drives a hard bargain. And this is why clients love him, of course. It's why you pay a premium to get him. But it does generally tend to create a log jam when it comes to dominoes dropping. He'll stop the process. He does not care. And that's what Manfred's talking about. Again, there are a bunch of teams out there that will not deal with Scott Boris, especially not when it comes to a big-name client. So that kind of can change the tenor of the entire free agent period, but also changes the options and maybe limits the options for some of these athletes. Of course, again, if you sign with him, what you're about is getting the best deal and the most money and the most staying power. You're not as interested in whether or not all 30 teams or 32 teams shoot. I forget what it is in the NBA. It's 30 in the NFL. It's 32 Ryan. How many in Major League Baseball 30 30 because
1: it's five in each. So uh, West Central East. So 15 times 30.
3: Okay. (laughs) I'm with you. That should be a really easy thing to memorize, but I don't. It's one of those numbers that I've not made a priority. I do know in the NFL, of course, because we talk about them all the time. And then b- basketball with the 30. All right, go with your first answer. On Twitter, A Law Radio. On our Facebook page, too, uh, you can uh, find us on the phones 855 212 4227. Still to come, Clay Thompson gets benched not something i ever thought i would say but clay thompson gets benched or at least gets pulled from the starting lineup uh, the bucks have really sucked the bucked they they bucked Andrew, uh, adrian griffin and now they suck tiger woods though back on the course for the first time in a pga event and had back spasms and also had to use the s word no not that s word it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.
2: You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
5: Definitely nervous. Um, I, I care about how I, how I, how I play, and uh, I certainly was feeling the nerves um, starting out. And uh, I got off to a good start, burning the first, and then giving it right back up in the next two, two holes and made a couple more buries. It, it was one of those days. Um, just never really got anything consistently going, and hopefully
2: tomorrow I can clean it up. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
3: Not words you generally hear from one Tiger Woods. In the early half of his career, the early stages, maybe the first 10 years of his career when he was dominating, not just majors, but racking up wins, and he was consistently the top player in the world, and the bets would be Tiger or the field. He would never use the word nervous you would never hear tiger acknowledge that a lot of what tiger was about was that stoic impenetrable persona nothing got to him his mind was a steel trap his preparation and his his processes processes when he was on the course and the fact that he would be so locked in or at least presented that never showed any type of cracks in the armor, if you will. Now, he showed emotion. Remember, he would yell and he would scream and he would fist pump. And, yeah, it would be the tiger, the tiger roars and the tiger fist pumps. And we would even hear some choice words now and then when he was upset. But you never really got kind of a, an idea that he was susceptible to nerves or anxiety or worry. But this is a different Tiger Woods. We know that even after he spent the time away because of what happened in his personal life, and even after he had the first few surgeries, it wasn't until a few years later that we really started to hear this Tiger Woods that was more emotional, that would let people in, so to speak, that was open to having friendships on the PGA Tour other than a couple of guys that he felt like he could trust. That was a big issue with him. But now we get a Tiger Woods who tells us everything. And he has a sense of humor about it too. There's more humility. Well, there is humility, period. There never really was humility in the past. And when he's struggling, he says it. When he's nervous, well, he tells you the truth. And when he has a ball that is... Something like what you might see with Weekend Warriors or something you might see off the tee at a driving range in your town or something at Top Golf. Well, he says that too. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. This Genesis Open in which he, or Genesis Invitational, in which he is a part I don't know if it, owner. He's part Commissioner, I don't know. It's, it's partly his tournament. He's associated with the tournament. Anyway, uh, it's his first start in a PGA Tour event going back to last year's Masters, which he did not finish. And then he had that surgery to try to relieve the arthritis on his ankle and his foot that goes back to the accident. But he's got all kinds of health maladies now. So the fact that he's even golfing at all is a big deal. He tries not to have real high expectations publicly, though he will say now and then he still expects to win, that if he didn't feel like he could compete and win, well, then he wouldn't be out there. But it would be a a relative miracle for him to be able to hang, and part of that is because of the physical challenges of walking four rounds in a row. Impossible, no, because of how good he is. I mean, Phil Mickelson won a major at 50, right? But tigers had so many different surgeries and he's done so much damage to his physical body that it's hard for his body to withstand the rigors of the four rounds in a row especially when it's mandated these guys have to walk plus there's the rust factor and his performance in the opening round of the genesis invitational kind of revealed that there was some rust and he's still working his way back into the groove
5: a lot of good and a lot of indifferent um (laughs) It was one or the other. Um, I think what I don't know how many pars I had. One, one, many. Uh, it was either making birdies or bogeys, and uh, just never really got anything consistent going today. Um, I struggled with the speed of the greens. I couldn't believe how fast they were today. Even though I made a couple, um, I ran a, a bunch of by the holes. it was it was very stressful.
3: Yeah. Again, you would never hear Tiger Woods ever. I'm I've been covering him his entire career. I have never heard him use the word stressful. <laughs> It was pretty stressful. And even his candor about how challenging the greens were. Man, he'll open up more and more when he does something that he's not happy with. In the past, he would get pretty technical about it. I had the speed off. I couldn't putt. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And he'll get fairly technical, but for him to say, that there was this stress and this anxiety associated with it is so different when it comes to Tiger Woods. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Something else has come uh, pretty common, become pretty common and pretty routine with Tiger is that there are, again, physical challenges even when he's on the golf course. And that was the case on Thursday as he opened up.
5: Well, my, my back was spasming in the last couple of holes and I was locking up. So. Um, I came down and, and it, it didn't move. And I presented Hazel first and uh, okay. shanked it.
2: When's the last time you hit a shanked shank, Tiger? It. I think you can remember.
5: Come it's been it. a while. It's definitely been a while.
3: He actually used the S word. I think we need to hear it again, Ryan. I shanked it, he said. Tiger Woods shanked a ball. Go ahead. You can just play the whole thing again.
5: Well, my, my back was spasming in the last couple holes and it was locking up. So um, I came down and, and it, it didn't move. And I presented Hazel first and uh, shanked it.
2: When's the last time you hit a shank, Tiger? I think you can remember.
5: It's been a while. It's definitely been a while.
3: <laughs> if you haven't seen the shot, it's out there if you care. If it makes you feel better that someone like Tiger Woods could shank a ball, it went dead right, as in dead red to the right, into a tree, and kind of banged around and came to rest in the midst of some other trees. They were eucalyptus, so the story goes. <laughs> Genesis Invitational. By the way, Marco Belletti's here in studio. When was the last time you tried to use the word spasming? It's it's not easy to say spasming. spasming? My back was spasming. Spasming. I I don't know. The right. Not it's right. not one of those that you generally would add the progressive tense yeah. to. Spasming. Yeah. Spasms. Back spasms. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I, I dealt with. Spa- I Mm. I dealt with spasms. Mm. My back is dealing with spasms. I'm, I'm dealing I'm with back spasms. spasms. no, I might have said no, it's spasming a bit. No, I might have spasming. said that. Spasming. It's such, might have, that that's might have come such an odd mouth. word. Spasming. Mm. Mm. Spasming. ming? <laughs> spasming. Uh. <laughs> it's uh, it just doesn't roll off the tongue is all I'm saying. I was spasming. Uh, Tiger Woods right now is plus one, which I suppose is what you really wanted to know. Uh, and Friday he's got to do, he's got to bo- do his moving day early. He's going to have to move up. Otherwise he's going to miss the cut. What are they projecting the cut at right, roughly now? Right now the cut is, let's see. Oh, I guess I have to look at the scoreboard to look at the cut, but he's over the cut. He's not. Yeah, no, he's got a, he's got cut. a lot of
6: work to do. I saw that, but I didn't see what the projected oh, cut. On. I thought you had it in front um, of
3: you. Oh no, I'm looking. I got it in front of me now. Oh no, I don't have it in front of me, but I can tell you it's like top thirty-six in ties. Was he? He's forty-nine right now, right? Okay, so, so if he's forty-nine, he's he's better. Hope so you're looking that at like a one under. No more spasming. No one or two. No Is more spasming. spasming. No more top fifty scores and ties make the thirty-six hole cut.
1: So he's barely there.
3: Right. No more spasming. What's well, ties as well. So, yeah, right now, I guess the lie would be plus one. Since he's sitting at plus one, he's in the top 50. Okay.
6: Uh, he's good. He needs some work. When well, was I mean, the last
3: time you ever heard Tiger Woods say the word nervous twice and stressful? This is not the same Tiger Woods anymore. He doesn't take anything for granted, and he's just happy when he can get through an entire tournament.
6: Look. I think he knows, and he's also letting his guard down for certain mm-hmm. things. He's not going to tell you this when he was at his peak. I mean, no, no athlete when they're in their peak, when, when especially a guy that was as dominant as he was, is going to tell you about nerves. It just doesn't work like that. Now he realizes that it's a little different. The kinder, I think, gentler tiger. Well, he also knows too. I mean, this is his first tournament tournament back. Like he he knows he's going to have to go through a lot of rough patches just to even forget the old tiger, just to be semblance of what what he was. I don't even know. Five How years much does ago? it
3: survive an entire tournament? Yeah. I mean without spasming. You ask, yeah, you're asking a lot out of tiger. Spasming. Right now. And That's how old is true. he now? Forty eight?
6: I mean, it's not like he's, you know,
3: twenty-six. Uh, well, right. your body doesn't recover as much, but goodness, I think he's had been through so much. I think he's had twenty six surgeries. Forget age twenty six. That's
6: what I mean. So he's roughly around forty eight ish. Which is already difficult. 48 ish. Well, because I don't remember exactly. Uh, which is already difficult to do as an athlete. Never mind the back surgeries, the leg surgeries. I mean, he's lucky he can walk. Never mind to be able to play golf.
3: True, and he says that. He does indicate that it's a miracle, not only that he can walk, but that he can even swing a golf club at all, that really what he wanted to do in the wake of that accident specifically was to be able to just pick up his kids. Now, he probably doesn't pick them up anymore. They're a little bit big for that. But he loves, loves, loves playing golf with his son, Charlie. I actually don't know if his daughter, Samantha, plays. I've never seen her on a golf course with them, it doesn't mean she doesn't because they live right on a golf course and it's private and she probably could. But I've never heard reference to her playing. But Charlie is like a mini Tiger. Mm-hmm. He's what Tiger was at that age, which is incredible.
6: Yeah, and I am i mean, he said, talked about that. The idea of being able to do that, I'm sure when he was at his lowest point, that's the stuff that was running through his head. Yep. Can I get on the course and just be able to play with my kids? I mean, that's that's the stuff that we all kind of talk about when you get old and busted where, you yeah. know, Can I at least throw the ball anymore? Can I just run around a little bit? Like, things like that. And obviously, Tiger's a different situation, but the fact that he's come back and he can still play professionally, it's not like he's just playing in the yard either. Not that golf courses would be your yard unless you're Tiger Woods. But the idea that he could still play professionally and still somewhat hold his own, it's it's impressive. Say all the other stuff about Tiger, it's impressive what he's been able to come back and do physically.
3: Mm, I agree, the fact that he's able to play at all. Uh, He is 48. You're right. he I always know his birthday because it's the same as LeBron James. Uh, Isn't that weird?
6: Now I don't know two people's birthdays.
3: Oh, December 30th. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying it's crazy that they have the same birthday, isn't it? Uh, Not the same age, obviously, but. uh, Not that far apart. No, no, they're about a decade apart. Yeah, not that bad. Not quite. All right. On Twitter, ALaw radio coming up. Uh, he's never been one to hide his emotions. Clay Thompson puts them all out there. And whether he's on the court, whether he's behind a microphone. And he was emotional about not starting for the first time since his rookie season. And yet turned it into a positive. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
0: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Thompson, the pick from Looney, a deep three,
4: and he knocks it down again. Clay, six for ten from beyond the arc, a season high, 32 for number 11. Back to the basket. Clay gets it from Kaminga, fires a three, hits another one!
2: Oh! Clay Thompson, 7 of 11 from downtown. He's got 35.
4: This is Clay Thompson, four time champion with the Golden State Warriors. You're listening to one of the best shows in America After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.
3: Yeah! Our boy Clay. That never gets old, by the way. And we root for Clay Thompson here on the show. I openly root for Clay, And it has really nothing to do with the fact that he's a warrior, though I do love what he's done as a member of that warrior's backcourt and as a splash brother to Steph Curry. But really it's because I like who the guy is and because his story took such a drastic turn when he tore his ACL in the NBA Finals. In what was that? 19 I think the night uh, summer of 19 and then he misses out on what was the interrupted 2020 season right he doesn't play either beforehand uh and then after the break where the NBA resumed in a bubble he, well the Warriors weren't there anyway uh and then he was about ready to get back to basketball I mean it had been a year and a half a Close to a year and a half. He's about ready to get back to basketball. Remember the 20, now the, the years all blend together, the 21-22 season tipped off later. And so he's getting ready to come back. He's weeks away from rejoining the Warriors in games that count. He's playing pickup in L.A. and he blows his Achilles. And that changed him, obviously. Just the, the pain, the anguish of having to go through another full year we know he's been really candid and open about how difficult that was, how hard it was for him to even be in the arena to support his teammates. Not that he didn't want them to win or succeed, not that he didn't love them, but just that it was so brutally painful to not be able to play because that's what Clay Thompson loves. Clay Thompson loves basketball. He eats and sleeps and breathes basketball. That's his life, essentially. And so it was a two and a half year odyssey that was extremely painful for him, and he's been really open about it. Of course, there was great redemption in the way that the Warriors were upstart winners of the NBA championship, uh, going back in I guess it was 22 then, right? See, why all these dates? There's so many. I was told there would not be dates on this edition of the show. (laughs) So if I get them wrong, well, you know, give me a chance. It'll dawn on me. Uh, But he's struggled. I mean, he's had some games that show those flashes that Klay Thompson can just take over a game and and rule the world. And he looks at times like an even better shooter than Steph Curry in stretches. He can get hot. He can have uh, the types of eye-popping numbers that he used to, that used to be routine. But it's not on a regular basis. And for the first time since March of 2012, so this goes back to his first season, he was a rookie when he came off the bench and wasn't a starter. He had actually started 727 consecutive games, which was the fourth longest active streak in the NBA. By the way, his teammate Steph Curry has started even more in a row than that. I mean, think about that consistency. So he gets put on the bench and he goes out there and he has the best game of his season. A season high 35 points, just looked comfortable. But it wasn't without his angst, right? Because this was something completely different for him. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You can find us on Twitter, After Hours CBS, or on my Twitter, A Law Radio, and then also on our Facebook page. Uh, so, yes, yeah, Steve Kerr. Tell us a little bit about why he decided to have clay come off the bench
4: i've been thinking about it and um you know the 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 lineup with um brandon out there with Wiggs, jk Draymond, steph it's been by far our best lineup and um it just uh, bp connects the game he rebounds he does does some things that really help the other guys found out this morning me and steve had a good talk about it and uh you know, you could do two things. You could pout or you can go out there and respond. And I thought I did the latter very well tonight, especially um, so you no know, turnovers. And I've missed a few box outs, though. But more importantly, uh, I realize I'm going to play a ton of minutes. So you just got to let the ego go when you think of coming off the bench and all that.
3: He had been in a situation. Multiple times this season where he was starting, but he wasn't finishing. And you'll hear that from guys who are sixth men candidates or guys who come off the bench. You'll even hear it from coaches sometimes. It's not who starts. It's about who I trust in the late stages where the games are coming down to the wire. But there have been times when that was not Clay Thompson. Still competes. Still works hard. Still wants to play D. He gets so frustrated, though. When the shots aren't dropping, it's visible. When he feels like he's not playing well, he wears that. And at times, it can be a mental battle. But as you hear Clay say, I knew I was going to play a ton of minutes, so I had to let go of the fact that I wasn't going to start. And, and Steve Kerr said he wasn't thrilled about it but I actually didn't expect him to be. I knew that he would be upset about the fact that he was not starting and that I was asking him to try a new role.
4: I embraced it that before tip. And, uh, I mean, I deserved it, really. I didn't, didn't respond to the, not playing at the end of the game well last night. I kind of took it out on the assistant coaches, and I apologized to those guys before the game. Hmm. And I think that really let uh, my guard down and let me just be myself out there
3: had to get it off his chest. How often do we acknowledge, apologize, and then we kind of feel some freedom and some peace. And that was him. He, again, can get very frustrated. He can get very emotional. And he took it out on his assistant coaches when he wasn't out there on the court the night before. As the Warriors were losing, if I remember correctly, they lost a tight game. Well, one of the hallmarks... Of this team has been coughing up huge leads. Double figure leads. But in this case. Even as the Jazz were attempting. To come back and cut. What was a significant lead. Into. a Gosh. A 2 I think it was two, three points. But a one possession game. They were able to hang on for the win. And part of that is because of how Clay was playing. The seven three-pointers, he had 17 in the first half, right? So he was able to replicate that in the second half. And and Clay even said, you can do two things. You can pout or you can go out there and respond. And I did the former last night because I wasn't on the court. But I decided I wasn't going to carry that forward into this game against the Jazz. By the way, he's only the sixth, and this happened on uh, Thursday night, only the sixth Golden State player ever to score more than 15,000 points. And so now can he carry that forward, right? Can he continue to play this way with the abandon, without the stress, without the mental Uh, the mentals that are kind of getting to him. Can he continue to play like this so that he can be someone Steve Kirk can't keep off the court?
4: The moment you worry about what people say or what headlines will be written about being benched or the streak being broken is when you go out there and you don't play with that love, that compassion for your teammates and that freedom that has gotten me to this point. So uh, I realized that I didn't want to go to all-star break on a sour note and my best game of the season hopefully build off it i thought about Mono you that guy has four rings and gold medal and he came off the bench his whole career and i don't think anyone looks down on his hall of fame candidacy he's uh one of the greats
3: i love how clay and this happens with people when they're sitting at a podium they're tapping or they're hitting the desk or the table for emphasis. And sometimes it's kind of a nervous tick, if you will, where, you know, Clay's, I wouldn't say he's uncomfortable in front of a microphone, but it's not his favorite place. And so he's, and he's out there talking about himself and he's admitting that he was, he was upset, and he was angry, and he had to apologize. So this is not a super comfortable press conference for him. It's not all happy, happy, joy, joy, even though he did just score the 35. And so he's kind of taking it out, and he's, he's emphasizing by pounding the desk. And Nick Saban does that. Now, I wouldn't say his is nerves or anxiety, uh, being uncomfortable. i just say he hates being up there, and sometimes he gets – gosh, now it's past tense. Sometimes he would get so annoyed that he would take it out on the podium. Well, it's going to take me some getting used to. I know we'll see him and hear him on TV, but to not see him on the sidelines is going to be weird. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.